From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room. With the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. Hi all to those of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey you, checking out the live stream at the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And hello to those gathered in the live YouTube chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Lex Lonehood Nover, web producer of Coast to Coast AM, is discussing his brilliant new book, Nightmare Land. Travels at the borders of sleep, dreams, and wakefulness. And uh, we'll also uh, take calls this hour. We'd love to hear about your strange dreams, nightmares, and other strange and unexplained occurrences that you've experienced in a dream state or perhaps on the border and of uh, sleep and wakefulness. Uh, before the break, we were talking about um, sleep murder. And uh, is there a particular case... Uh, that sort of caught your attention when you were putting this book together? There are several of them. Uh, one of the most famous ones was the one I mentioned before, which uh, which took place uh, near you in, in Canada, a uh, fellow named uh, Kenneth Parks. Uh, that was back in 1987. I don't know if you, how well known that case is in Canada, but um, he uh, had a history of various sleep problems, and he, one night, um, got out of bed and left his house just kind of with the door wide open and a number of things that seemed to indicate that he was sleepwalking. And he ended up driving 14 miles to his in-law's home. And uh, when he got there, he uh, savagely attacked them with a, a kitchen knife that he got in, inside their, their home and the whole thing was very bizarre because the, his, these in-laws were very um, beloved to him. He, he had no reason to, to kill them. Uh, one of them actually survived the attacks, but um, one of the uh, bizarre elements to the case that they, they used in the trial in his defense was that he, in the early morning hours, showed up at the police station and he was kind of muttering something about about killing his his in-laws, but he all uh, ten tendons in his fingers had been completely cut through because of the kitchen knife um, being held so um, strongly in his hands during the attack. But he wasn't experiencing any pain. They called it um, dissociative analgesia, and that is something that a person that the sleepwalking might um, might demonstrate this idea that they don't they don't feel pain during um, during sleepwalking, and so this case uh, went to trial, and it was kind of a, a battle of the sleep experts, and it was really one of the first modern cases where this whole theory was was tested out in in the legal system, and um, he actually was was found innocent. And, and got off uh, scot free, and um, the the verdict was was protested. It actually went all the way to the Canadian Supreme Court, that ended up um, honoring honoring the verdict. 
but it certainly raises questions as to what is the culpability of someone when they're asleep? Do they still bear some responsibility for what they're doing? So it, it, it's really an interesting question, and, and some of the research uh, that I ran across suggested that the court system is a little antiquated in the way that they view some of these um, automatic or unconscious behaviors. Well, that's a great question. I mean, the idea of guilty or not guilty seems somewhat limiting in in these cases. Are there other levels of culpability then? No, not really. I mean, that's that's why there's been suggestions to to try to modify it to at least, you know, in cases where someone is found not guilty because they were considered unconscious or sleepwalking that they should be ordered to uh go on certain types of medication or take take steps so that they will not <laughs> repeat these behaviors again. I ran across cases where I think it was used more as like the, the so-called Twinkie defense, where uh, there was a famous case in the, um, the 1800s where uh, um, this kind of a scion of a wealthy family came. His lawyer was, was a sort of a Johnny Cochran of, of, the, of his day and came up with that defense, supposedly after seeing this uh, novel about uh, somnambulist, and uh, he he ended up getting uh, getting getting uh, off because of you know having this skillful lawyer and assembling various witnesses that claimed that he did sleepwalk. But he he not only murdered his mistress, but he he set fire to the abode. So uh, it was kind of like a double crime. Mm. Let's say hi to Chris in Etobicoke. Chris, you're on the line with Lex Lonehood Nover, the author of Nightmare Land. Well, hello there. Hi. A dream I'd like to discuss that I've had, which was a very strange encounter, was a few years ago, and I was having a symptom of sleep paralysis, but I was able to get up in the dream. And the weirdest thing I experienced is that for some reason in these dreams, you, you're not able to use lights in your room. And for some reason, the clock would always be off. Like, I had a digital clock by my bed, and every time in this dream, I could see my room, but the clock would be out, and I would get up to open the door, but the lights would not work, and the door would be stuck. And then I would end up in that thing where, you know, where we talk about the old hag or one of those, and it would I would feel that presence. And it's a strange encounter that, certain things that even if you are able to get certain forms of motion in these dreams are not able to be used. You just cannot use things in your realm. All right. Great comment, Chris. Uh, Lex, did you want to weigh in on that? Well, a couple things came to mind. There's something called false awakening, and it sounded a little bit um, like what he was describing, where a person wakes up out of bed, uh, maybe gets up and starts their day, only to realize that they're still in the dream state. And, and that can be quite disconcerting. Uh, there was um, uh, a fellow that uh, is kind of a prominent figure in the lucid dreaming community, um, Robert Wagner, and he uh, suffered from, I think, seven false awakenings all in a row. And at that point, he was like, I'm going <laughs> to give the whole lucid dreaming thing a rest for a while because it was, it was so disturbing to keep having these levels of... Um, of one one dream on top of the next, if you will. Uh, the the other thing in terms of um, of that that whole experience 
is relates to something that I find frustrating about, about I guess you could call it the dream fabric, which is the where dreams take place. It seems like a lot of technology doesn't work. In fact, that's a cue to become lucid, what they have uh, called reality checks, where you figure out that you're in a dream while you're still in the dream. But um, I think it's one reason why I, um, up to two-thirds of all dreams are negative or have a negative cast to them. And my pet theory is it's because of this whole uh, reality of, of the dream dream world where stuff doesn't work. And, and you know, nowadays, we're, you know, our phone is like, uh, you know, a fifth appendage. And if you've ever tried to use a cell phone while you're in a dream, they, it's very frustrating. They don't work. And I often have dreams where I've left something behind and try to go back to get it but because you're kind of, your, your mind is, is spinning out. You have like a different visual cortex that's being used when you're dreaming, and it's just sort of creating rat reality on the fly. So if you left your shoes back in one building, you can't necessarily go back to get it because the whole um, reality is just kind of coming off the cuff. And because we don't realize that we're in a dream, that can lead to these frustrations and, and negativity. Chris, thank you for that. Thank uh, you very much. Let's say hi to uh, Louise is in Barrie, Ontario this morning. Louise, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi. Hi. I have, over the years, but as I get older, I see dead people in my dreams. I dream about my friends that are already gone. And I find it unsettling, and yet the dreams are not disturbing. They're pleasant. Right. And I'm wondering, are these people... <laughs> I know this sounds ridiculous. Not on this program, Louise. No, I know what you're going to say. But, but are they trying to get in touch with me? Are they waiting for me? Sure, that's a legitimate question people have. Are you dreaming it, or is this some way that those that have passed on can communicate with us? This is something that we've discussed many times in this program. Lex, what, do you, what are your I, thoughts? I really believe that. I had a friend, this was a few years back, and a week after she passed on, she did get in touch with me, and uh, she was so happy. She was just ecstatic. She said, it's wonderful here. Well, I think that's kind of a universal experience, uh, Louise, that you've had. But uh, it, it was during a dream, and and she was beckoning me, and I told her daughter later, she said, it's a good thing you didn't, or you might have. I said, no, I'm sorry, Jill, I, I have to go. You're not ready to go. Right. I right. said, I, I have something I have to do. And did, so did I you, just... Did uh, Louise realize that, you, that these... Um, people that you had the dreams about, did you realize that they were deceased while you were in the dream? Or did you just no, think they and, were visiting like cases, a, they were younger. They were alive? They are always pleasant dreams. But they were younger in the dream than they, than yeah, they would we, have been. we were doing things. You know what I right. mean? We were perhaps functioning in some way. I've dreamed of my brothers who are both gone. I've dreamed, well, I'm in my 80s, so... Everybody's gone. <laughs> hmm. Well, Lex, what are your thoughts on this? Are we just dreaming, or are we are we contacting the other side? I think it's a question we all wonder about because I think most of us have have, have had dreams that involve the deceased, and I had one um, 
while I was actually writing the book, a good friend of mine had had passed away, and um, I was experimenting with a supplement that um, is supposed to increase the chances of having lucid dreams. It's called galantamine, and um, it didn't it didn't generally induce lucidity, but it kind of made me a little smarter. It, I think it sends certain neurotransmitters makes your brain a little uh, peppier, but you're still able to sleep on it. So when I saw Jeffrey in the dream, even though I didn't realize it was in a dream, I did realize that he was dead, and that led to some very interesting conversation because I was able to, uh, kind of like Louise, ask about the afterlife. And most of the time, though, when I've had dreams involving dead people, I don't realize that they're dead and it just it doesn't feel quite as remarkable as when you you do know that they've passed on as, as to whether these are legitimate visitations or they're just imagined um in our in our mind it really is hard to say i in the case of this uh encounter with jeffrey i i was able to check in in real life some of the things that he he said to see if they were accurate or not just in terms of dreams in general, universally, there seems to be certain archetypes, I guess is the term for it. For years, I had dreams of my teeth falling out. That's very common. People have that. Another universal one is you're speaking somewhere or you arrive somewhere to speak and realize that you're not wearing any pants. The other one is, you know, you're going back to high school, you're late for exam, and then you realize you haven't studied, you haven't even attended class all semester. These are just universal. Where does that come from? Where do these archetypes or these symbols come from, do you think? It's, it's an interesting question, yeah. I mean, there's the Jungian archetypes, like the uh, the shadow and different things like that, that uh, he argued are are just um, part of everyone's consciousness, kind of this this material that's buried inside of us. I think to some degree it might be cultural because I saw reports that people in, in different countries have uh, dreams that um, that are a little different in terms of these repeated ones like like you were describing. So some of it might be, you know, related to our, our social upbringing. As far as how you interpret those, I, I kind of take the view that rather than looking up their meaning in a book, that each person's interpretation might be unique to them as to as to the meaning of it. Uh, let's say good morning to Carol. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi. Thanks, Richard. Um, the reason why I'm calling tonight is mine is more of an out-of-body experience. This was um, an actual out-of-body experience with a demon. Oh, my. All right. Do tell. Um, yes. Um I uh, was in bed one night, and it was like 4 o'clock in the morning. I was asleep, and I could feel my soul go right out of my body. And um, I was at now at the bottom uh, corner of my bed with a light directly on me, and on the other side of the bed was a demon, blacker than night, and he had a lion's mane. I could see the outline of the lion's mane, and it was some type of communication. What do you call that, Richard, when you're not speaking, but it's like a mind? Uh, a telepathy? Is that telepathy? Uh, yes, that's it. When Whatever this thing wanted, it wanted my soul. I said no, and no sooner when, when I said no, I felt 
my soul go back into my body and I felt pain again. When I was out of the body, I had no pain. When I went back into my body, I was full of pain again. Fascinating. Yeah, and that was a spiritual, and I am I get old hag all the time. I won't sleep on my back anymore because that's when she comes. What does she look like? The old hag? Yes. Terrifying. Did you want to respond to that before we head into a break? Lex? Well, just, just briefly to say that, yeah, sleeping on your back is, is the one of the prime things that uh, makes you susceptible to sleep paralysis. A lot of people are not back sleepers, but they might find themselves in that position, you know, when they're twisting and turning through the night. So there's actually a, a, a little bit of a remedy that uh, for people that are plagued with sleep paralysis where they sew something like a tennis ball into the, into the back of the T-shirt or pajamas that they sleep in, and that'll <laughs> prevent you from sleeping on your back. All right. Um, I think I got time to squeeze one more in here. Uh, let's say hi to uh, Paul is in Oshawa, our old friend Paul. Hello, Paul. Good morning. Sure. Good morning, Richard. How are you keeping? I'm well, thank you. Yourself? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, very good show. And uh, Lex, a very interesting subject. I have a, a couple of questions for you, Lex. Sure. Um, in regards to uh, sleep paralysis or that dream state of uh, having experience with different types of entities. Have you had any cases where thereafter maybe uh, the person has talked about any markings on their body and or had uh, any awake paranormal activities such as ghost symptoms or UFOs? Uh, in, ter- in terms of um, the sleep paralysis with markings on the body, I, d- I don't think that's something I ran across. I mean, it, you know, certainly in the alien abduction accounts, there are many tales of uh, you know triangular marks on the body and, and, and different things like that. In terms of um, places that are said to be haunted or have poltergeists. Uh, there definitely seems to be a relationship between nightmares and strange spectral activity. All seems to kind of go hand in hand together. All right, Paul. And, and what about UFO sightings, uh, Lex? I'm curious on that. Uh, any cases on that? Um, I, I, I think that in terms of the, some of the alien abduction stuff, you know, sightings might might be related. But I didn't I didn't necessarily see that in terms of of sleep paralysis and um, and and uh, other nighttime oddities. Paul, thank you for the call. We'll uh, head in on on into a break and uh, continue to field your questions and comments as we discuss nightmare land. Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Lex Lonehood Nover is with us. The book is Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness. Let's, uh, before we go back to the call, a bit about sleep deprivation, uh, which any new parent uh, certainly can identify with. Uh, people that work uh, strange uh, hours, shift work, etc., can lead to sleep deprivation. Uh, can it actually kill? You know, I did run across a case uh, that's fairly recent. A Chinese fellow that was a huge soccer fan. He, uh, the games were broadcast in China at uh, odd hours in the middle of the night. So he ended up doing this marathon, I think, over 11 nights. He was just staying up and then going to work. 
and he at the end of the whole um, series of games he he dropped dead and there was some speculation that he had been kind of partying and drinking as well as not sleeping so that might have been the combination of uh, of the other uh, things that he ingested but um, yeah I, I also look at this uh, syndrome called fatal familial insomnia or FFI it's a rare genetic disorder where people fall into this strange netherland neither being able to be fully awake or fully asleep, and that does eventually kill people. Uh, how, how, what's the longest you can go without sleep? Well, I think what happens is you would en- enter into a pretty psychotic state after, uh, even just after one day, you can start to have hallucinations and things. I don't, I don't know the exact figure that, you know, it probably varies from per- person to person, uh, where it would it would actually cause death, but certainly um, going back to like the medieval or Renaissance periods, they perfected um, sleep deprivation as a as a method of torture, and so they came up with all sorts of insidious ways of of keeping people awake. And then in in um, the 20th century, those uh, gulags in um, in Stalinist Russia were notorious for. For using that because it didn't it didn't leave marks on people and yet it was considered such an extreme form of torture that um, these prisoners would sign anything say anything do anything just to get some sleep they said it was the lack of sleep was far worse than food or just about anything else fascinating uh, let's say hi to Mike in Mississauga Ontario Mike good morning welcome to the conspiracy show hi Richard enjoy the show thank you yeah, I've got uh, two instances of dreaming. When I was very, very young, for about three years straight, I would have these dreams where I was dreaming with my eyes open, and I'd be talking, and it would just really scare the you-know-what out of my parents, because I I was saying all these names and talking, but I was, like, sitting up in bed, my eyes were open, but, but they couldn't wake me up, and I'd always wake up in the kitchen with all the lights on, and they would they would wake the dog up, they would wake my, my brother up, everybody would be up trying to wake me out of this out of this trance that I was in. Fascinating and scary. <laughs> it was scary. Yeah, it sounds, them. sounds like uh, what I was talking about earlier of the night terrors, which is um, uh, uh, something that happens during non-REM sleep. Even though there is this content, you're reacting to something that's going on in in the dream state. Although it's it's not the rapid eye movement because your your eyes are open in this kind of glassy glassy eyed or, or zombie thing. Do, do you remember? the storyline of what was going on during any of those episodes? Yeah, it was, it's bizarre. I do remember it, it. I was All I remember is I was seeing nothing but all these bright colors like oranges and bright reds and bright yellows. And when they asked me why, why, what, what was I, you know, what, what was the problem? I would always say the same thing that my father had died. Hmm. It was bizarre. I don't know how that all connects, but my, but my second ex- example is uh, a few years ago, you know, I had this dream about my older brother, and I never dream about family members. I, I hardly would ever dream. I was a really, you know, dead sleeper, and uh, I woke up just after 3 in the morning, and uh, I thought, man, that's really unusual to dream about my brother, and I got up, you know, and I, and I, uh, I, I did my business, and then six days later, I found out that my brother had died, and they pronounced him dead on the table just after 3 in the morning, 
And that was bizarre. And the, the night that he died, I had that dream, but I didn't find out till six days later. Fascinating. Prescient dreams. Yeah, there's certainly a long history of that, that kind of precognition that uh, people report of, of different uh, incidents that are particularly meaningful that they seem to get cued into. Um, you know, in this case, it it um, it sounded like um, uh, these these kind of apparitions that sometimes people see, um, where their grandmother or someone appears at their bed at at the said to be the same same time that they're dying in the, in the hospital. Um, and that it's, you know, interpreted as like, oh, they're, they're visiting someone one last time before they go. And in those cases, um, I, I would relate it more to like the hypnagogic state where you have these odd experiences, uh, just before falling asleep or just after waking up. But certainly the, the dream state itself, there's a long history of, of these precognitive dreams that people have had. Mike, thank you for that. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about sleep deprivation uh, some more, and uh, you, you reference uh, some, you know, DJs back in the day. That was very popular. They would see how long they could stay on the air. Uh, I think you, you made the example. Uh, you, you cite the example of uh, Alan Freed, who who coined the term rock and roll. Um, I was thinking also. I don't know that it's covered in the book, but there's a, a fascinating story uh, that was um, shared with me by our. our Mutual uh, late colleague, R. Gary Patterson, a rock and roll investigator. It had to do with um, the Big Bopper, who uh, uh, J.P. Richardson Jr., who was a DJ in Beaumont, Texas. And and uh, shortly before that uh, airplane crash in uh, February of 1959, my word, we're coming up on the, uh, what is that now, 61 years, the anniversary, coming up very soon. Uh, he w- was involved in one of these all, you know, these marathons, on-air marathons, and he stayed up, I don't know how long it was. He was in, eventually he was carried out on a stretcher, and he was having this hallucination, and he was basically predicting the plane crash. Uh, how often does that happen? These, these hallucinations that are induced by, uh, insomnia or staying awake, and, and then these things turn out to be true. That is a really interesting case that I did not hear about. I, the, the things that I looked at, um, people would fall into these kind of paranoid states. Um, Peter Tripp was, uh, the DJ that, uh, that I profiled in, in the book. And he, at one point, uh, thought that, uh, it was an undertaker that he was doing a live broadcast from a, a glass booth in Times Square in this, fellow in a, a dark jacket showed up and he was convinced that it was an undertaker that had arrived to take take his body out that was, that had died so people can really fall into these um these strange notions when uh when they've been sleep deprived fascinating uh let's say hi to uh destry is in philadelphia this morning good morning destry how you doing sir i'm well uh, listen, uh, it's kind of weird how I found you. I was down here looking for a screw to fix a fire extinguisher and turn the radio on and found you. And, uh, you really raised a question to me that's been on my mind for a while. Uh, I just wanted to ask, is, is it common if you're, if you're dreaming, if you like dream that you're driving with somebody in the truck that's passed? Like they're sitting next to you in your dream and you're talking to them and the next day you wake up and it's 
it's like so for real that you actually think they're still alive. Does that happen or no? Well, we were we were just chatting about that that whole issue and and the the question that I think that everybody that has a dream that they realize even during the dream or sometime later that that person is deceased. We wonder is it could it really be them? Because you could, you could make the argument that a, someone in spirit form uh, it's far more probable that they could communicate to us through something like a dream state than trying to get our attention in the waking world. Um, I think it's it's hard to to know one way or another for certain. Destry, what do you think? Ah, uh, man, I'm just I'm totally shocked. I, I, I'm going to be tuning into you for a while here because uh, there's so many questions I got. I don't want to hog the radio up, but uh, it's just that uh, you touched on something that's been on my mind, and uh, I was kind of embarrassed. I mean, I told my wife a few times. But uh, I, I've had quite a few dreams where I'm talking to people. Not nothing bad, no, you know, no horror story or nothing. But you know, just people like a few times, uh, if I may say this, they put a boot in a crotch. If you understand what I mean. Uh, yes, yes. And it actually seems like maybe they're talking to me to say straighten yourself out or or different things. You know, get to work here or do this. Nothing bad though. But I just wondered, is that common? Because it's so real when I wake up. Oh, yes. Sometimes I woke up that I actually thought my father was still alive, you know, and uh, and all of a sudden I come to that cold feeling that, nah, I, you know, my father's, you know, he's passed, you know. Destry, uh, it's no accident you found this radio program, uh, and you'll find that if you listen... Uh, that what you've experienced is very common indeed. And for some people, it's very comforting. Uh, for other people, it's a little unsettling. Uh, Destry, thank you so much for calling in. I hope you'll call again. Hey, not a problem, man. I'm going to keep the radio station locked here. I mean, it's just an old radio down the basement. But uh, I just want to thank you because it was it was something I didn't expect to hear. And, uh, you know, it gives me a little... Uh, little relief knowing that there's other people maybe out there going through the same thing, if you know what I mean. Absolutely, Destry. We'll be here waiting for you next week and the week after and the week after. All right, we'll take a quick time out. More of my conversation with Lex Lonehood Nover. Nightmare Land, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. If you like uh, The Conspiracy Show, you might also uh, be interested in my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, and three episodes drop every uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Conspiracy Unlimited. To subscribe, to listen, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com, and it's available wherever fine podcasts are available, now available on Spotify. Uh, back with uh, Lex Lonehood Nover, Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness. Again, uh, Lex, how do we get the book? Oh, Richard, it's available on Amazon, um, some uh, actual bookstores like uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, IndieBound, uh, anywhere uh, you shop for books, basically. And that audio version? Yeah, same thing. You can get that through Audible or various... Um, places online that, that sell audiobooks. Um, I'm actually a fan of the public library system as well, so um, I know my uh, book and the audio version are carried in some libraries. If you 
if you're into that whole thing, you can request that um, that they carry Nightmare Land. So that's another way to to access it. Fantastic. Um, now, you um, you talk about nightmares in the book. Obviously, that's the name of the <laughs> that's the name of the book, Nightmare Land. But you, uh, there's a wonderful um, uh, phrasing that you use. You talk about dreams. How often dreams are an escape from our waking life. Uh, because that's where we experience, you know, fantasies and different things. Whereas nightmares, it's often the wakefulness that rescue us from the nightmare. We wake up just before, you know, we're devoured by that monster. Let's talk a little bit about nightmares, how they may differ from dreams. Um, I mean, are they essentially the the same as a dream, except, you know, they're 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 frightening, or are they are they a, a, a different thing altogether? Well, like I mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation, the definition of nightmare up until a certain point in the um, 19th century actually referred to sleep paralysis. But what we call nightmares now are actually a subset of REM dreaming. That's these uh, very narrative, story-like dreams that we have, and it's coupled with what they discovered are the rapid eye movement in the in the eyes, kind of flicking flicking back and forth. And um, what particularly fascinated me about nightmares was some of the really mind-bending ones, things like uh, fever dreams and people having specific nightmares when they have uh, medical conditions or are on different medications. So there's um, some things that just um, really uh, are quite, quite incredible. Uh, for instance, uh, this... Um, fellow that wrote what you might consider to be like the first addiction memoir um, was about um, uh, called uh, Confessions of an Opium Eater, Thomas De Quincey. So he, he was addicted to opium, but he would have these nightmares when he, when he would go to sleep that were just these extreme bendings of time and space. So for instance, in his these elaborate dreams that he would have, it would seem as though it would go on for like a hundred years within just the space of a night, and he would have all sorts of distortions of of um, faces and buildings and things that seemed very characteristic to the related to the substances that he was on. That is, that's that's so true. The the, uh, the amazing thing about dreams is they can seem like they go on for hours and hours. Um, what do we know about the the average duration of a dream? Are they? I, I've heard that they can be just like seconds long. Yeah, I, I think they they can kind of run the gamut. We we know that um, the REM sleep state occurs as part of a, a cycle that we go through. So when you first fall asleep, there are, I think uh, three or four stages of this non REM or slow wave sleep that that go uh, deeper and deeper into it. And then you um, hit REM, which are these narrative dreams, and then the cycle just repeats all over again. With nightmares, they often happen um, closer to the early morning as the person is, is going to be waking up within an hour or two because there's more REM dreaming that happens in the later stages of sleep. Um, we're going to uh, head into a break again here very shortly, and then we'll get to Mickey in Burlington and James and Melanie in Toronto and uh, Richard in Hamilton. Uh, do you have a, I don't know if you want to share this, I'm going to ask, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a recurring dream? Uh, I have had um, 
recurring themes that um, that that give give one cause to pause. I've not had that uh, type of nightmare that I uh, look at in the book, where someone is just plagued by something that plays out over and over again that usually relates to some kind of unresolved trauma or issue in their life. But um, just as a, a kind of a side note about that, I've noticed that it seems almost like dreams have a separate memory in our brain because I've gone back to different locations repeatedly that, that are not places I know in my waking life. So I've always been kind of fascinated by that. Hmm, indeed. All right. Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's head on into the break, and then on the other side, we'll, we'll uh, get to some more calls and uh, more of my conversation with Lex Lonehood Nover. Nightmareland travels at the borders of sleep, dreams, and wakefulness as we head on into the, uh, the stretch right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Alex, I, um, one of the things I enjoy doing on this program, or Coast to Coast, um, is, is talking with inventors. And um, one particular inventor uh, in Spokane said something to me I thought was very uh, astute. And he said that uh, before you invent something, you invent it first in the dream state, and then you invent it uh, for real. Uh, and I know that you allude to uh, you know, sort of creativity while we're asleep. Um, talk to me a little bit about about that. What, what's happening there? Well, I particularly looked at that issue surrounding uh, hip, hypnagogia and some techniques that uh, people like uh, Einstein, I'm, I'm sorry, Thomas Edison used, as well as the painter Salvador Dali. They came up with these uh, ways to kind of wake themselves up using these little contraptions so they would just, fall into that kind of half-sleep state, and in, in so doing, they could grab, like in the case of Dolly, I think that's where he saw some of these amazing surreal images just as he was uh, about to, to fall asleep. And uh, one of the more famous cases of someone using uh, that state was uh, the chemist uh, Kekule, who um, saw the uh, benzene uh, the compounds, the molecular compounds for benzene, uh, while he was um, falling asleep. So it definitely seems like we can access this material that is un- un- unconscious or subconscious. That uh, it's, a, it's almost like a real creative fountainhead that you can tap into. Do you believe in the in the notion of a collective unconscious? Unconscious. I think there, there's something to it. Yeah, this idea that parts of our brain are very ancient. And that um, there there are these shared uh, shared experiences or or um, some some kind of uh, um, uh, layers that that are that are kind of native to all of us in one way or another. Uh, Mickey's in Burlington. Good morning, Mickey. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Hello, it's Richard Lex. Thanks for taking me on. My pleasure. Great. Um, so I had a dream where I was actually I woke up rather not a dream I had been sleeping I woke up 
and I realized that my dog, Gabriel, was sitting beside me awake on his haunches, staring at the window. So I said, what's, what's he staring at? And as I look out the window, it was a curtained window, but behind it was all this undulating light. So the rational part of my brain thought, there must be an emergency service vehicle out there, ambulance, fire truck, whatever. This is at night, middle of the night. And I also thought to myself at the time, well, it, it's going to leave soon, and if it does, it'll go either to the left or to the right, because the road passes in front of this window. When it did leave, it went straight up. When I turned to look to Gabriel, who was still beside me, my dog, he was also raising his head to follow this light go straight up. And what was really odd is that my curiosity button was turned off. Because normally, if you see emergency vehicles outside your window, it's just kind of a curious, uh, you know, normal human response to go, well, what is it? What are they out there for? Sure. What's going on? Right. But it's like my curiosity button was turned off. Not once did I get up for about five or ten minutes to go and look. And when my curiosity button, for lack of a better word of what to call that part of yourself, was turned back on, I mysteriously went to the back of the house and looked out into the backyard instead. So that's it. That was that was the experience. And uh, I just have one other further thing, and it's in connected to uh, sleepwalking. I had a roommate once uh, back in the early 80s, and this fellow would get up and, and do really strange things. So I had a couple of experiences experiences with him doing this. My history. What, what, what name one strange thing he did while he was asleep? Well, he <laughs> he would urinate in the room against the wall. Ah, so right. odd things. And another time he did it on himself. He didn't even get up out of his bed. He just did it on himself. Oh dear. And uh, anyway, and no recollection later that this had happened. So. With that in mind, and I was aware that that had happened in the past, one night I woke up from sleep, and I was on my stomach, face down, and then I realized that I couldn't move. And I realized that I couldn't move because there was this tremendous weight on my back. And I was trying to struggle to move because I couldn't breathe. And what it felt like to me was as if someone was on my back, kneeling on my back and holding the back of my head into my pillow. Classic old hag, right, Lex? Well, yeah, except that the odd thing about it is that normally those kind of experiences would be the pressure beyond the chest. I'd, I'd not heard of a case where the body was flipped around like that, but um, yeah, I was, I was I'm sure that, that there are cases like that. I was face down, and I was suffocating. I was really struggling to move who I thought was my roommate off my back. And finally I lost consciousness, woke up later the next morning, asked him if he was aware of anything like that happening. He said no. So anyway, I know there's other callers, so that's my story. I'll let you guys go. If you have anything to say about it, I'll be listening. So Mickey, thank so you much. Thank you for that. Uh, let's uh, move quickly, see if we can fit in uh, Melanie here in Toronto. Melanie, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Oh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, first of all, I don't really believe in dreams, but I can't help it because I have dreams where sometimes either an object or a person or a situation or a place that I dream about within days, weeks, or even months then appears in reality in, in real life. And, and it's very shocking to me. But then I read the Bible and 
dreams do happen, Joseph and all these others have dreams. But I'll just, just tell you a very quick story. I had a dream that my aunt was on a bus and I was going to get on that bus. And she says, no, no, you can't get on the bus. Get off, get off the bus. And we were very close. And so the bus closed and I left. And actually, uh, when I then drove by in reality on the street where that bus is its route, it's the name of the cemetery where my aunt was buried because she had passed away when I dreamt about her. And my my sister in another city that same time had a dream where my she saw my, not a dream, but a reality. I had the dream, but in reality, she was on the bus and my sister was horrified that this was my aunt in the front of the bus looking backwards at her. And I says, you must be dreaming. This is, this can't be. She says, I know it was our aunt on the bus at the same time that I had a dream that I was going on the bus and the street was the name of the cemetery she's buried. Remarkable. That's a great story, Melanie. Thank you for sharing. Let me ask you very quickly, uh, Lex. Uh, do you have any stories about people who share a dream? They, they, they're both actually in the same dream at the same time? You know, I have I have run across that. Uh, it's it's definitely something that's that's very rare, but I think it it does it definitely happens to people. Um, I, I it, it's been uh, something that in the lucid dreaming world they've they've wondered if they could show that in an experiment to see if two people that are both uh, lucid, in other words, knowing that they're dreaming while they're dreaming, could could have some kind of shared experience together. So it's it's really out there at the <laughs> the uh, edges of uh, experimentation with some of these these strange states. Let's try to squeeze Richard in Hamilton, Ontario onto the program. Richard, go ahead, please. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, regarding about the sleepwalking. Yes. Uh, as the gentleman say about the case of uh, uh, Park... Uh, Ken Park? Yes. Yeah, because uh, I remember that uh, he was sitting with with his uh, wife. They had a cup of drinks at night. And then uh, they have the key, uh, the car key, hanging up on the way they keep the key. And then uh, the wife said, okay, I'm going to bed, good night. And then he jumped. He got the key and he jumped in his car and go kill his parents, his, uh, his uh, in-law parents. Mm. And then uh, he got away out of it. How can you drive uh, the car about uh, 40 or 50 kilometers? Well, Richard, as Lex pointed out earlier, people have been known to drive while asleep. You can do some pretty remarkable things while you're asleep. Richard, uh, uh, we've got to leave it there because we're out of time. Uh, Lex, this has just been uh, remarkable. And congratulations on Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness. What's up next? What are you going to work on now? Well, I'm kind of uh, milling uh, what, what, what might be my next project and just kind of riding the wave of nightmare land. But uh, it was a real pleasure to speak with you and your listeners tonight, Richard. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Likewise. And uh, I'll be uh, I'll be sitting in the, uh, the Coast Air Chair Saturday, February the 8th. Maybe we'll be working together. Cool. We'll catch you there. All right, my friend. Lex Lonehood and over. Nightmare Land, available 
where all good bookstores or all good books are available. All right, my thanks uh, to uh, Owen Wolf and his uh, able young apprentice Carlos Ryan White for live stream producing. Back next week with Marcus Allen from Nexus Magazine. We'll talk about the lunar landing hoax. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Radio Toronto. CFZM.